Welcome to the Venezuelan Diaspora Project, where you will find Venezuelan entrepreneurs and changemakers that we searched and interviewed to present to you. My name is Jesus Bolivar, also known as Chubeto. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to a new edition of the Venezuelan Diaspora Project. My name is Jesus Bolivar and today we have the honor to have Raul Stock uh, as our guest. Uh, Raul is a lawyer and CEO of Caracas Chronicles and Cinco Ocho. Uh, uh, we'll learn more about it, but I get confused with those two names. He recently launched uh, Pueblo People, a podcast on the U.S. election for Venezuelans with Osvaldo Graciani. Welcome, Raul. Hi, Chubeto. How are you? <laughs> good, good. I think uh, this comes up all the time. So I'm, everyone calls me Chubeto. So I, I think I need to make a, a, a skit about it. So Jesus. <laughs> okay. So Jesus or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. No, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus? So as you, yes, as, as you know, this program is for uh, other Venezuelans, entrepreneurs in the U.S. And so we hope to uh, learn from your journey. So we'll divide the the time with Raul in three sections. One, we'll talk about uh, Cinco Ocho and Caracas Chronicles and, and the venture he's involved in. Then we'll go into his story before he started the venture. And then we'll end with some advice and some Venezuelan stories about him. So let's start with uh, Caracas Chronicles and Cinco Ocho, Raul. Tell us how that came about and what it is for those who don't know. Well, um, I'm the CEO of Caracas Chronicles LLC. Um, which is, uh, well, that's like the, the holding company, um, which has uh, two websites. One is Caracas Chronicles, and the other one is Cinco Ocho. Um, Caracas Chronicles LLC also has uh, a consulting division, which I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, about because it's actually like the part of the business. Because as you know, um, making money, uh, through content generation is very hard. So you have to find like different alleyways to connect that to actually generating, you know, <laughs> profit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, well, you know, the beginning of Caracas Chronicles, um, I would have to say that that website, Caracas Chronicles, is perhaps the oldest news website in Venezuela. It, it's, uh, I know that like it's digital. Uh, you mean like a yeah. digital version of, yeah, of, new, of yeah, news website. That's what, uh, yeah. what, what you know, it's a uh, category. I, I would say that it's, it's amongst the oldest uh, Venezuelan digital media. Uh, it started as a blog in 2002 by my, par my partner, uh, Francisco Toro, who, you know, uh, one day in 2002, uh, living abroad outside Venezuela, he needed like, I, I don't know, something to channel the rage <laughs> of what was yeah. going on in the country. And he opened up the blog and, you know, the story goes that uh, the name took him like 30 seconds to decide. And he just uh, started blogging that day. So um, for more than 20 years, uh, Caracas, uh, for, for more than 10 years, Caracas Chronicles was... Uh, Kiko's, uh, uh, Francisco's uh, blog, and eventually it became sort of like a, a group blog uh, where mm -hmm. he invited other, other people to participate. And there was like, you know, like this 
kind of a banter banter d- dynamic where one would write a post and then he would get shredded the next day and you know there was like this whole thing with the comment section with, which was insane but uh, that dynamic uh, attracted a, a, a very interesting audience um, the whole idea is, was you know writing about Venezuela in English was of course to sort of like inform uh, uh, you know, people outside Venezuela, uh, both uh, foreign and, uh, you know, non-Spanish speakers and Venezuelans about, you know, what was going on in the country. So, you know, it was a blog. But uh, eventually, uh, when it was a group blog, I was invited to to write. And, you know, I, I said, okay, and I wrote a couple of posts and I started getting inv- involved. And, I, uh, and at that point, like in 2014, 2015, we started seeing that um, not necessarily that there was a potential to turn it into a business, but that if we wanted to dedicate more time to it, we had to turn it into a business. So that it would be sustainable. So in a sense, like we were doing something that we loved, but it wasn't like we thought, oh, you know, we just struck gold. No, Mm. Uh, we built the the business around the idea of wanting to dedicate, wanting to dedicate more time to Caracas Chronicles and turn it into, you know, from a blog to a like, proper uh, analysis and news website. So in in 2015 um, is when we founded uh, Caracas Chronicles LLC. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, we said, okay, great. Like we have this thing that people love to read. And, but the, the, the great problem there was, okay, how do we, <laughs> how do we turn this, you know, uh, what, where's the business here? What's, uh, so we started, uh, of course, uh, you know, we had uh, sort of like uh, what we call uh, voluntary subscriptions, which is people who uh, before, uh, you know, this whole like Patreon and all these uh, things existed. Uh, we already Only had, fans. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm but kidding. We, we had already like this concept of uh, donate uh, so we can, you know, uh, produce this. And we had like di- different tiers of donations, but we never really like gave something back to the people who were donating. It was basically like, hey, you're donating so we can keep on doing this. Um, but we, you know, we understood at that point that, okay, but we got to, you know, we got to. How are we going to make uh, serious money that will allow us to dedicate more time to this? So uh, at that point, uh, we designed what we call the political risk report, which is um, uh, it is a weekly newsletter, uh, which has uh, like a deeper analysis of what's going on in the country. And it includes uh, intelligence, intelligence. Uh, regarding you know what's happening on the government and what's happening on the opposition side and uh, and this was like the the spearhead of a more ambitious uh, part of the business which is a consulting business so uh, so what what we had so what we started doing was okay 
on one side, we're going to have this monthly subscription, which I love the idea that, you know, in the end, it's content and, and we're, you know, it's a subscription. We're selling content. And, uh, like, and for those who want like a deeper dive or, or need a little extra, uh, this is like the perfect gate, gateway to get in contact with us and, you know, tell us what your needs are. And these needs are mostly, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of journalistic work, but, you know, we work a lot with uh, other media um, or with organizations abroad that are looking to have a better understanding of a specific subject in Venezuela or with groups who are looking to, to, uh, to who have business in Venezuela and, you know, are looking to understand, to have a better understanding of what's in the future for them and to be able to make better decisions. Better decisions. So it's so, like an intelligence, they're looking for intelligence reports. Yes, so it, it it, it's, it's like the, it's a little bit like the um, uh, model that The Economist has, that they right. have like a, 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 an in, a business intelligence uh, unit, unit and it's pretty much what, what we developed. And so it seems, like Caracas, it seems like through Caracas Chronicles, you guys were basically able to create an audience, create like a followership, which you then monetized through this report that you created. So you essentially tiered yes. your audience yes. into those yes. who were... We, yes, but uh, the problem here, and it's something that we're working on fixing right now, is that, uh, and this is a problem that I think that, I, I would say that uh, media abroad, especially in the United States, have understand it and are and are have understood and and are in the way of fixing but in latin america uh most uh, uh most media outlets have this problem which is that right now the work they did that they do the journalistic work that they do is not connected to the to the business so right. you see a lot of a lot of people just like uh, putting content out there which is super expensive and super complicated to to produce, uh, but this is not going back. You know, this this is not part of their uh, income generation uh, right. structure, uh, and this is a big problem because uh, what what you see that they do is that they have to start doing, uh, you know, stuff on the side, uh, which starts getting in the way of what they're yeah, actually. Yeah, you create. You create an incentive structure which sort of deviates you from the core yeah, from mission, your core is, from your right. from your core mission. Right. So so we're working on, on on fixing that, and that's why that's why I said that I love the PRR because uh, it's actually a an editorial product, right. and so right. right now we're working on more of that. Uh, but of course, we also have uh, we also have a, a merch store. And and we also uh, are, are starting to work on on some uh, you know sponsor content uh, type approach. Yes, so uh, approach. Uh, so so you know uh, right now we're looking at different uh, alleyways. I, I think that it's very important that that and and I think I think that it's key, of course, not to have all your all your all all your eggs in the same basket. One basket, right? And, um, and well, uh, I, I think that I, 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 you, you spoke about Cinco Ocho. So we have yeah. Caracas Chronicles. Like for us, the most important thing is, is, is uh, the media itself. 
because right. that's what we want to do. You know, we're, we want to do analysis, we want to do journalism, and we, and we want to tell the story of what's happening in Venezuela. So on one hand, we have Caracas Chronicles, uh, which its audience uh, is, uh, you know, English speaking. is English speaking. And uh, eventually, you know, after 15 years of doing this, uh, there, you know, there was people saying like, oh, but you're Venezuelan. This article should be in Spanish. This is something that we used to get a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, starting with those comments and also, uh, be, you know, I love writing in Spanish also. And, uh, and I, love, uh, I love the Venezuelan audience as well. So uh, we started talking amongst ourselves, like saying, okay, uh, wouldn't it be time to sort of, you know, launch a Spanish website since we are all Venezuelan. It sort of makes sense. And uh, we started talking about what it should be. Um, I think that Kiko and Juan Nagel, who was an editor uh, years ago. Uh, he's based in Chile, right? Yes, he's in Chile. Mm -hmm. At some point, I know that they did an experiment called Crónicas de Caracas, where they would like translate uh, the blog entries of Caracas Chronicles, but that, that never took off. So uh, what I thought at that point was that I don't think it should be a translation of Caracas Chronicles. I think mm -hmm. this should be, uh, you know, a, 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 a media outlet that stands in, in its own feet, uh, you know, using, of course, what we have learned and establishing a connection with Caracas Chronicles, but it should be like a separate, a separate thing. So what we thought about Cinco Ocho, uh, then we onboarded Rafael Osio Cabrices, who is a very well journalist, in, uh, well, very well uh, known journalist in Venezuela, uh, who has a lot of experience, and uh, we onboarded him to, to basically to found uh, Cinco Ocho, and what Cinco Ocho is is, uh, you know, we are very careful with the writing and the editing, which is something that uh, I, I can get crap for saying this, but that uh, Venezuelan media wasn't very used to. Uh, it, you know, mm. at some point, uh, there was a lot of work on getting like uh, good collaborators and good contributors, but uh, there was always like a fear of editing them too much or like pushing back. Editorial control, right. Yes. So. So, and this is something that we brought from Caracas Chronicles, something that Kiko uh, uh, was very, you know. He's uh, great. He's a great editor. I remember yeah, I wrote he's a, he's a very good e editor. And, and he's like and he brutal. He's, yeah, so, he's ruthless. That's correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is something that we brought from, from Caracas Chronicles and applied it to, to the Spanish uh, outlet. And uh, it definitely has made a difference. So the whole idea of, of this uh, Cinco Ocho is that, you know, Venezuela right now is a country that is, is more than the territory. You know, you have people who are in the country and you have uh, more than 5 million people who are abroad. So, and they are part of that country as well. So, so what we designed was a media outlet that would sort of respond to that new country. So, and sort of like try to bridge um, the people who's abroad uh, with the, you know, sort of like to establish a bridge between the people abroad and the people inside. Right. 
Um, so basically, uh, what we do is like tell stories and. Uh, of course, there's a lot of opinion and interviews, but they all have like a very um, particular point of view, which is this uh, this idea that that whatever we do is to connect those two audiences, and it, it has not gone very well. Uh, it's uh, and but you know, of course, uh, we we uh, launched it a year and a half ago. And uh, of course, in the beginning, it was okay. We have to push content. We have to, you know, uh, get known. We have to put this out there. We have to do, you know, people that uh, we have to do stuff that no one else is doing. And we did mm -hmm. it. And I think that we are in a very interesting place right now. But again, we are in that situation of okay, but. You know, this has to make money because yes, <laughs> because so, and it, it seems it it, and, yeah. <laughs> and it seems like it's a theme in media, right? I think one of yeah. the particular aspects that your venture has is that is in content and media creation, which is has gone through a massive transformation. And I think what's interesting too about Caracas Chronicles is that Caracas Chronicle is part of that change, right? Like before, when we were young, you know, our parents used to get El Nacional, El Universal. Mm -hmm and the papers and we would have the physical paper and that's how we well, and, interacted and, with our writers, right? And one thing that, it, that, that that's important to say is that, uh, you know, all, all that disappeared in Venezuela uh, for different reasons. But, uh, you know, th there's there were uh, newspapers that were, you know, over a hundred years old and stuff like that. And, and TV channels, very traditional TV channels and all the traditional media disappeared in Venezuela for different reasons. Uh, well, and, and in the US they've gone through, but I think it's interesting about your story is that you basically pushed for that. I mean, there's many forces at play, but yeah. you know, you were part of those forces that pushed out or were part of that change. And now you're facing the existential threat or crisis that those media face themselves, which is like, how do we sustain this business? No, when people uh, are not reading papers, yeah, right? They're uh, going uh, to the internet. No, of course. And and the thing is that in Venezuela, I always say that Venezuela adapts uh, to uh, modern times through all the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, because because it's true that we are, and Venezuela has was like sort of like an early adopter of digital media. But because mm -hmm. there was no, you know, there was no alternative but to do that, uh, because right. the government crushed the traditional media. They either they just like completely, you know, defunded them, or right. or they just like bought them, and eventually they just disappeared traditional media. So so Venezuelans were pushed to digital media which, okay, you know, it's the future and the whole world is doing it. And, but we did it for different reasons, not because, you know, uh, because the, because, uh, you know, the model changed, but we were right. like forced into the model. But now that we were forced into to the model, we're at that place where the New York Times and the Washington Post were saying like, hey, I'm going to pay well. Okay, pay well. How, how the hell now we get people to pay for this? Yeah. Uh, and 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 with an extra challenge that, that is, we just can't like put a paywall because you know a large part of our audience is in Venezuela, and some of them don't even well. Every day they have more access to foreign currency and dollars, but 
you know, it's it, there's a humanitarian the crisis, yeah. and it's uh, and it's different. So most of most of the you know, what you would say is okay. You got over five million Venezuelans abroad. You could rely on that, but of course that's not enough. You know, uh, right. you know that that that's not enough to to support. Uh, you know, a media organization and uh, and help you like have like a great salaries for your team. So another thing that that's happening is that also, and I think that this has a lot to do with media in Latin America uh, in general, is that uh, I think that, you know, those uh, uh, newsrooms with hundreds of people mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, all that disappeared. I think that most or the people who are doing most uh, interesting work have like very small newsrooms with small teams uh, working with a lot of, of journalists uh, all over but you know it's not like uh, those organizations in Venezuela where right now we would be at the Christmas party you know and right. <laughs> with uh, all that changed. Uh, so, so right now we're basically, and it's the place that we're we're right now. Like, okay, how can we be more efficient, um, and and how can we integrate uh, other platforms into what we do? Because of course we have a passion for writing and for the written word, but people people are not reading so much lately. So, so you know, we have. Uh, maybe it's I don't know if it, I, I have I think that there's a there's a place for the long form but I think that that's the you know it's the media it's a platform it's what you know, what we're doing right now I think that uh, that there's a a lot of future in podcasting and people like you know they have uh, even TV they they have changed now everything is on the cell phone and everything is you know is okay how can i immediately get uh get this i know this is a conversation that sounds even dated uh because it's a conversation that we've been having uh for five six seven eight years uh but in venezuela right now uh, in the place where media is um it's a very you know uh you know it's it, it still there's room for innovation by just uh, you know, introducing several podcasts to your platform or doing stuff like that, which is not so hard to do. But, you know, right now we're working on, on, on how do we modernize this thing that we started like five years ago and we have to, you know, keep keep up with the times. Hey, hey Raul, so, so uh, six years have gone by since you started the Caracas Chronicles LLC. What would you say are the two things that you have learned? If you had to say like two things that, that some um, some lessons from that time since you started it, like you planned it, um, that well, you would tell I think that, another entrepreneur. I, th I think that the first lesson is that you can have a great idea, but before you start to develop it, you have to think, how is this going to be paid for? Right. Um, have a so, business model. Yeah, what what's the business model, and uh, you know, is this something that? And I, I'm not saying that okay, this is my passion. Uh, okay, great, uh, uh, you know, you, you can go, but someone has to pay for it. And uh, and so that's and, lesson one. That's lesson one. Lesson yeah. two. Yeah, lesson two. Um, 
you know, I think that it would be uh, uh, about uh, about the team, mm. the people that 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 you worked with. Uh, it has to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like people that you, uh, you know, that you love, like having a beer with or whatever. But it has to be people that you can depend on and trust, mm. and uh, and man, like strive for, you know, shoot for talent. That's you know, awesome. that makes it all right. Different. So make sure you have a business model and make sure that you have people that you trust alongside you. No, the last question, I, I mean, trust the talented people who are de dependable, you know, I mean, who you can depend on. Yeah, yeah. That deliver. So one question okay. I always ask, and I think it's related, it's highly related to the business model is, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs um, that are about to embark on a journey, Uh, one question I love to ask as you think back or thinking about it is, did you ever do like a market sizing or like, did you ever like do an analytical to say an analytical exercise to say like, this is different ways that this can pan out. This is the market that I'm going for. This is how I'm going to monetize it. Did you do that before or when you decided to start or, or was this more of a hunch of like, we think there's no, something here? No, the problem, as I told you, is that uh, we got something that existed right and and we decided to to okay how do we monetize this that's the most horrible thing <laughs> that's why i say like once you get an idea if kiko in 2002 had thought about it you know he wouldn't have done it <laughs> maybe, or, <laughs> maybe. Or we would be or, or we would be somewhere else but 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 i do think so but, i do think it's an interesting exercise in because sometimes people do things out of passion no, but your question, uh, mm -hmm. we did it. Like when okay. I when I got on board and, uh, you know, the team that we had at the moment, uh, there was, uh, well, there was Juan and Kiko and uh, and Emiliano Duarte. Uh, we did it. We, we worked with people who knew what they were talking about regarding marketing and business development and all this. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just like, okay, we're going to do an intelligence. No, no, no. We went over our audience uh, and we, we made, you know, it, it's something that there was thought into it. And we made all this market analysis and all the, you know, all the work that you would do. Um, one thing that I think is that also uh, this is something that you have to do constantly uh, because... exactly. Uh, and and that's something that we're working on right now because some years have gone by and um, and and another thing uh, one mistake uh, it's not a mistake we were very conscient uh, uh, we, we had a we understood that this was a situation at the moment but and this is something that has to do with many uh, uh, Venezuelan businesses which is that they rely on on the crazy uh, dynamics of, of Venezuelan economy. So to give you an example, uh, when when we started doing this, also one thing that, that we decided was that we were going to pay our contributors because before when it was a group blog, like nobody got paid. We were all doing it because we had fun. Uh, but, you know, when we said, okay, we're going to make a proper business out of this blog <laughs> um, we decided that people had to get to get paid and we uh, we decided to pay um, 
to pay our contributors, uh, to, to have the best paid contributors in Venezuela. $7 was the best paid contributor in Venezuela. Per, per piece. Uh, uh. I mean, it's good and bad. It's good from the from the business standpoint because you know yeah. it makes it more yeah, scalable. But, you but understand it, it, it's, it's, how that can become a problem down the road. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it's so, a moral problem. So we were very clear about this. Uh, about this, that uh, this was a problem because imagine that if you had someone, uh, some voluntary subscriber paying ten dollars a month. You know, that was uh, more than one article. So it, it was it was very so. But things have changed. And and now we we pay our contributors much more and it's harder to get uh, more, you know. Uh, no, we have different ways. You know, we, uh, of course, we have developed a, a business that's working and uh, and but but since the moment we started, uh, you know the the so the freelancers that we had working for us would you know would get paid uh, Venezuelan salaries, which were something, and now they're getting paid something more. Uh, I wouldn't say Venezuelan Venezuelan salaries, but Latin American salaries. Right. So and of course we're we have, itself we have more uh, w we have different ways of, of getting income and, and and our business has developed and but but still like that doesn't pay like for I, I'm still investing in this right you know got it and got not it. I, I'm not necessarily from my own pocket but with my time because uh, because we were able to to make uh, the business pay for itself, which is much more than, and I'm gonna brag a little bit here than the other Venezuelan media outlets can say. Uh, there's, n I'm pretty sure that there's none that actually works like a business. Most of them get uh, financing, which is which is which also I respect and which is not easy. But most of them get grants from international organizations. Which makes, may, of course, uh, as I said, it's something that I respect, and it's something that I wish I had time to work on. But it's like either that or work on the business. Right, right. Well, frugality. For, uh, Jeff Jeff Bezos would say that frugality uh, uh, is good for discipline. It creates a discipline. All right, let's switch gears. I'm, well, I want to switch gears, but before that, let's try the rapid fire. So I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna give you two choices, and you pick one. All right, let's start with the easy one: uh, cat or dog? Dog. Neither. Bitcoin or fiat? Yeah. Sorry. Bitcoin or fiat currency? Bitcoin or dollar? If you had to pick. Oh, I'm gonna get. <laughs> Say dollar. it. Dollar. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Margarita or los roques? What? Margarita. Oh, Los Roques. Wow, that's a hard one, but I would have to go with Margarita. Margarita. Ron yeah. or whiskey? Ron. So you revelaste bastante ahí. Mac Hand or PC? Down. Mac. iPhone or Android? Ooh, Android. New York or Miami? Nah. The lawyer in you will come New out York. here. New York. New York. Okay. I live beach, in New or York. beach or beach or the mountain? 
Oh, that's easy, beach. The beach, nice, nice. All right, all right. So hopefully, New let's check some beach light. Close by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. All right, let's move. Let's let's move over to let, let's talk about you. You know, as the 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 folks who are listening to this, hopefully, are both Venezuelan and live uh, outside and speak English. I, I'd love to learn more how your experience in Venezuela sort of shaped your venture and who you are now. So I just wanted to like share share what your ex experience was like living in Venezuela. I think it was in the dawn of the 2000s, maybe that's when you were there. Um, and how was that time? Like, tell us about that time, things that you cherished. How, where were you when you were in Venezuela? Well, um, I left Venezuela. Mm, I've left Venezuela twice, I would say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, the first time was was in um, 2008. Uh, I went to New York uh, to get a master's degree uh, in uh, you know corporate and finance law. And uh, eventually, I, I stayed there. I lived in New York for a year. Then I came to Miami and worked for Microsoft uh, for a year and a half, and then went back to Venezuela because uh, I went back to my old law firm. Uh, I got offered uh, to uh, become a junior partner, so I went back. And I stayed there for until 2014, like from 2010, 2011 to 2014, when I came back to the US. So, um, before, so, so yeah. if we go to before 2008, well, you know, um, I never thought that I would leave Venezuela. Uh, you know, I, I was a teenager in the 90s in Venezuela and it was, nice. you know, it was great. Uh, it was fun. Uh, and, you know, with a little bit of insane, but, and oh, there, there was always like this uh, feeling that things were worse than the day before. I don't remember a time when they think actually, you know, oh, this year was better than the last. Uh, it, it was always, it was always going, you know, that that it was going downhill. Um, but I never thought that uh, that I would leave uh, Venezuela. And now thinking that I, you know, of course I will always return, but I don't know if I will be going back to live there. Not because I don't want to, but because I'm married, I have a kids, and you know, that's. The, That their lives are here, but I never, I, I never thought that you know I, I would be sort of like in, in that situation. Like I remember something that we always were told uh, when I was a kid, and probably you heard it too, which is like, man, you're gonna have to fix this. Your your generation is the one that's gonna have to fix this. It was always that, you know. It, it, it was it, it, and. Uh, And uh, it's, uh, I think that uh, in some way that reflects like, there's, there's a lot of folks who have a, a debt with our generation because they just left us this piece of crap uh, that eventually exploded in our, in our faces. But, you know, about the 90s, you know, that's, you know, it's what people you know, would tell you that, oh, it was a great time and all that. Um, the first, What, are, what uh, Raul, hear yeah. me out. What are things that you hold dear about that heritage and what you learned? And what are things that you would, um, that you have left behind? Meaning like, what are things that you learned 
from that time that you still apply today or lessons or things? Um, and what are others that you have sort of like had to relearn as you entered the US and, and this other society? Well, I don't know. I think that the sense of uh, it's two things that are contradictory. Uh, one is like the importance of, you know, of that the extended family. I really love that. And that's something that I really hold dear from Venezuela. Um, and, uh, and the importance of that. Uh, and, and of course, uh, and well, it's something that has to do also with growing up and having a family and all this which is that eventually, uh, you know, that extended family, like at first you had cousins and all this and that, but then like that you have kids and your brothers and sisters have kids and that becomes the extended family. But that whole thing uh, is something that, uh, you know, I cherish and I think that it's important to sort of like hold on to uh, the relationship with, um, the like the Venezuelan relationship to your parents and all that. If if you had, everybody has different experiences, but right. But you know, I, I, we really had a have a close relationship, and that that's something that I bring with me. And that whole idea of the importance of the extended family coming into the U.S. Uh, you know, I learned how important is like the nuclear family. You know, the, the, that notion of extended family, in the end, you know, uh, you are with like, you know, it's that little life raft that you have. It's, it's being alone with my, my wife and with my two kids. And, uh, you know, before, like when I was in Venezuela, like you would rely a lot on having a bunch of friends and family that would be like a crutch whenever things got tough. But you don't have that when you leave your country and you leave your people behind. So one thing that I have learned is the importance of that uh, small little team and then and like and the way we depend on each other and that there's no crutches. It's just us. So I think that's something that's that Yeah, I, I certainly feel that. Uh, I think we've all felt that, right? Um, I remember that I had the first, when I had my first son, I had him when he was in Venezuela and I did not get him a single piece of clothing, clothing the first year of his life. And I didn't realize that until I had the second one, which was in the yeah. US. And I'm like, wait, I have to get clothes? What's going on here? Why, yeah. why doesn't he have any? Well, because the older cousins, like the, yeah. the passed me along. Hey, so tell me uh, just to wrap up the Venezuelan section. What are some things that you think that being Venezuelan have helped you in your startup journey, in your venture journey, um, if any? Well, there's, um, well, that everything that we're doing is related to Venezuela. But, <laughs> but apart from that is, uh, I think that, I don't know if being Venezuelan, but my experience in Venezuela, uh, as I was telling you before, like in the, uh, I, I developed professionally in the early 2000s and mm -hmm. uh, you know it was a crazy time in Venezuela and, and when you talk about Venezuela right now uh, people think about the humanitarian crisis and hunger and all of this but those first 10 years were freaking insane and uh, but sort of like you knew that 
what was gonna come because you know there was like so much public spending and 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 the and the general way that people were doing business but i think that it was very uh those years were very uh, when i was a lawyer there uh were very complicated and and i there was a lot of work and uh, and you have to be to develop like a sense of creativity creativity uh, especially like being a, a lawyer helping uh, helping international you know transnational companies uh, sort of like sort the complicated waters that was Venezuela and sort of like to protect them uh, from the Venezuelan government <laughs> and you know that like so, sort of like that tough uh, complicated environment I think that Um, allowed me to sort of like start thinking out of the box. And I think this is something that Venezuelans do very well uh, in general, think out of the box. And uh, that ability, I think that that is something that has helped me, um, you know, uh, push forward uh, whenever we, you know, sort of like get stuck Uh, in a place uh, with a business or with whatever. Uh, it, but it always seems it always seems like in Venezuela the rules are changing all the time. Yes, right? you, you have the adaptation you have be, mode. Yeah, adaptability. Uh, you have to, and that's why I say you have to be creative and you have to adapt. Uh, every day we would get like uh, new rules. I just realized that I, my lights are off, so that's gonna <laughs> look great on your video. <laughs> So uh, thank you so much, Raul. I think you made this a very easy interview for me because you answered all the questions without me have to, having to okay. say them back at you. No, 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 it was perfect. It was awesome. I just got to say uh, to all the Venezuelan entrepreneurs who are out there who are listening to this and non-Venezuelans as well, um, if you want to reach out to be interviewed, we're more than happy to do so. If you want to reach out to Raul, uh, I'll put his Twitter feed Uh, so you can reach out to him um, in Caracas Chronicles 58. Uh, Raúl, anything else that you'd like to say before we close? Well, that that what you were saying, I think, and what you're doing here, I think it's very important uh, to. Um, you spoke about the diaspora, and you know we have to be a community, and uh, and I think that it's what you're doing is very interesting because of that, like connecting people. And, uh, you know, and what I would say to everyone and, you know, this, this kind of, of good faith and this goodwill always comes back. So, you know, I'm more than happy to, you know, put my contact there and anyone who wants to reach out uh, because they're doing something similar or something that they identify with. Or even if they're looking for to get into media or looking for a job, just get in touch and let's see, you know, we'll see what what we can do. Thank you so much for that good energy, Raul. I appreciate it. Have a great night, night or morning, wherever you are, folks. No, it's afternoon. Afternoon. <laughs>